Well, hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, one of the very, very few English language entirely dedicated to the Libertadores podcasts out there. And this week on the pod, I was, am in Buenos Aires, uh, in the north of the city, in pretty grey and rainy Palermo. And uh, Mr. Wilson was back in the homeland, Ollie. Yeah, well, I can tell you're feeling a bit under the weather because you're not sure if you're yeah. coming or going or what. And no, I know. I am. I was. I it was very... <laughs> I am. I was. I will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit... Uh, no, feeling a little bit, uh, little bit rough after a couple of big weeks of travel and work. But that's the way life should be, I think. Well, but you're, in the, you're in the Queen's country, Ollie. Yeah, yeah. Back, back, in in the, uh, back in the UK, enjoying the start of autumn. I've got the autumnal vibes with the leaves falling and a little bit of cold oh, chill love around. autumn in Britain. Love it. Yeah, it's, it's not actually bad to come back to. I, I, I am missing the sun of uh, Buenos Aires, but I'm enjoying it. It's nice to be at home as well. It's been a long time since I've been at home, but it also means a few late nights catching up with the... Uh, with the South American football and all things Copa Libertadores, it's a little more reasonable, I think, for you on the uh, boots on the ground situation. Yep, yep, it is in terms of timing. This week, we were also joined via the medium of WhatsApp voice messages, which is a big favourite in terms of communication here in Argentina, uh, by Mr. Joel Richards, who offered his thoughts on the Super Classico, and also Mr. Peter Coates, who was at the Monumental for the game and filled us in on everything pre and post and atmosphere and VAR and all the rest. So that was good stuff. And Nico is hiding on shamefully, a ship. I believe. Yeah, he. Uh, I did actually speak to him after the after the River Boca game, and he he sounded pretty down. Um, I was a little bit concerned. Yeah, he sounded pretty <laughs> sounded pretty down on it. Is he, is he back for the final? Uh, sorry, for the semi-final you know second leg? Uh, no, he's not, no. Oh, he's uh, not a real fan then, really, is he? No, no, no. And he actually said he's going to be, for the final, he's going to be on a boat just off the coast of Santiago. So, bizarrely. And obviously the final's taking place in Santiago because uh, Nico's on a cruise ship uh, there. So, yeah. So he'll be, but I don't think Boca are going to be there, man. So he'll be swimming matter. from the edge of the boat. If Boca are in it, he will be diving off and swimming to the shoreline just to try and get that ticket, I'm sure. But I think he's going to stay nice yeah. and dry from everything we spoke about today. <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the podcast. <laughs> How are you, Dave? How's your weather? You paint the glamorous look. You know what? Actually, mate, it's, it's horrible here. The, the, the sky's grey. It's been wet and windy all week. There was a massive storm on Monday night before the Super Classico. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's actually been really horrible. Is this really like horrible. facetious lying? No, no, no. I'm, I'm deadly serious. The weather's been, um, the weather's <laughs> oh, been absolutely. It's been really bad, mate. Uh, yeah, really bad. In fact, it was yeah, it was it was pissing it down uh, on the on the Monday night and the Tuesday morning before before River Boca, and uh, there was a 
part of me momentarily that was like, Jesus, they're going to call this off. But they're really bad weather. But hopefully it's going to turn next week and the sun will be shining once more, my friend. Well, that just seems that seems ridiculous and almost unbelievable considering I didn't really see a cloud in the sky last time I was there doing the, the Copper Sudamericana, which, as everybody knows, is the purists' competition of South America. Yeah, football. absolutely. <laughs> the people's the people's competition. For sure, for sure. Well, I'm still trying to hunt down a... Um, uh, not lucky that Independiente del Valle. Jeez, I've got too many South American team names in my Independi- head. Wait a second, let me get. Did I hear you right? You're gonna, you're trying to hunt down an Independiente del Valle shirt. shirt. Yeah, a pink away Independiente del Valle shirt. And I've written to the club. I've asked them on social media in both English and broken, awkwardly translated Spanish. <laughs> and I've thrown Have it you out. Asked Peter to, Coates. I've thrown it out on Twitter to Tim Vickery, Joel Richards, right. and Peter Coates. All of them. No one could help you out. Yep. None of nobody can do anything. I think Tim's reply was something like, uh, I don't think you could be able to find one if you were even in Ecuador, let alone online or around elsewhere in South America. I, I would say probably the only way of doing it is to go is to walk up to the club. I mean they must have a club shop. Well, I've in my email I said to them, Will your club shop ship it to the UK? I will pay extra for it to be shipped to the UK. But I want one. It's a really nice shirt, the Pink Away shirt. It's beautiful. And as soon as does I it saw it... Does it come with altitude? Does it come with altitude? Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it, it has a Makes reduced you feel oxygen... Like you can't me- when you put it on. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, nice. Adidas kind of climber cool type thing, but it just takes all the oxygen away from your lungs, so you really struggle as you run. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That would be a find. Um, right. The Super Classico, Wilson. Yeah, let's get away well, from football shirts and talk about actual football, shall we? Autorizada a cobrança. Lá vem Borré. Perna direita na bola. A batida. Gol do River. Dali pelo meio vai tentando chegar o Fernandes. Boa bola aqui na ponta direita. Soares bateu cruzado. Desvio. I mean, you asked me, you said pre-game atmosphere, right? What was the atmosphere in the city like the days before? And I would absolutely love to tell you that you walked through Palermo and Recoleta, uh, which is like the north part of the city for those that aren't familiar with Buenos Aires. And there were, you know, there was a real buzz about the city and colours of the club and everyone was talking about it. But it wasn't like that. Like, unless I'm missing something, and I appreciate I'm only (laughs) in the northern strip of the city, but I barely saw or heard a peep about it. Considering it is, we said last week, arguably the biggest game in club football, you just couldn't, you really wouldn't know it was going on when you walked around the city or walked around this part of the city, I should say. Um, yeah, sure, the taxi, you know, you were having a chat about it with the taxi drivers, but uh, it would be a lie to say that Buenos Aires was, uh, it was, that it was kind of on display and it was obvious that uh, that the game was going to, that the game was happening in Buenos Aires. So, Because um, I, well, I was expecting yeah, that... it to feel like a World Cup almost, you know, when you get a, a whole country that's enwrapped in a tournament. And I just figured that yeah. it would be the same thing. Obviously, they wouldn't be selling like special trinkets in, in stalls around the cities and things like that. But I did just think half that... Half and half scarfed. I mean, I, I don't think... If, if 
ever there was a place where a half and half scarf was inappropriate and probably every single football ground is that place anyway but I'm pretty sure the Monumental earlier this week on October the 1st was definitely the worst place to be wearing a half and half scarf but I just tell you what Ollie I dare you to walk down uh, walk down Santa Fe for half an hour in a half and half Boca and River scarf As long as I can have a big sign that says uh, El Turistico. Don't hurt me, I'm British. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't have don't hurt me, I'm British, because that's twice as likely to get you a kick in (laughs) as well, actually, in Buenos Aires. Um, No, but I just I just thought it would be obviously like the the TV stations were talking about it. The the Mate table was I'm so I'm sure seeing plenty of action on like Fox Deportes out there and stuff of them passing around the Mate and 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 talking all about it in the build up with their seven hour discussion shows that they have but i just felt that that i just hoped that that would kind of come through in in the public and the people around the place as well you know you walk past a newspaper stall and it's on the front page for the three days building up to it you know gashado says this about the build-up to it no okay uh, the media perhaps yeah like the tv chat i mean but the tv channels are like like you say they do seven hour build-up shows anyway no you know even if it's bocker against uh like hurricane yeah so yeah, there's that. But no, it really wasn't like that. I mean, I stand to be corrected. Like, please do, if you live in Buenos Aires or you know something I don't, there's, but I certainly, in walking around the city in the 48 hours before the match, just didn't see it. Didn't see a big, like, advertisement of the game. Um, yeah. As for the football itself, Ollie, well, we talked last week so much. Of course, this was the semi-finals of the Libertadores, a repeat of last year's final between River Plate and Boca Juniors. And Boca, they have such solid, they're so solid defensively uh, in the Argentine Superliga. They're barely conceded. They've been unbelievable. And as you said to me, their plan went out. Their plan went out the window. You know, in the opening couple of minutes when they conceded a penalty, they they drew against River nil nil in the Argentine Superliga and in the Libertadores game. They were they were seeking to repeat something like that. But uh, yeah, everything went out the window early on. I'm an absolute disaster. One of the best things, the other thing about atmosphere, very quickly, mate, is just the the footage that's been going around. And this was something that really irked me that uh, here in the UK, Match of the Day's Facebook put out the footage of, oh my goodness, doesn't the Monumental look amazing as a plane is coming into land at the airport near the Monumental and is filming the fireworks from the air as the the teams came out and the atmosphere that was taking place. Because in the stadium, whether the city was quiet, the, the atmosphere in the stadium looked unbelievable on television and from this footage and all i did was put on match of the day's little facebook thing yeah it's a shame nobody has the rights to it in the uk at the moment (laughs) as in like hint hint come on let's get this on our tv screens but yeah but ollie sorry mate just to interrupt you very quickly that video also annoyed me but for an entirely different reason for those that (laughs) haven't seen it it's a video of an airplane landing at buenos aires airport as the game is just about to kick off between river and boca in the semi-finals of the libertadores and from the cockpit someone is uh, is filming from the cockpit right when the plane is supposed to be about to land like do you want to get any more unprofessional <laughs> like it, it, no but ollie if you get in a taxi if you get in a taxi or you get on a bus do you expect the driver to be filming shit like i saw that and i thought it was just totally unbelievable and people say oh maybe it wasn't the pilot maybe it was his or her crew i don't give a shit i thought it was totally unprofessional i, I would uh, i would certainly agree with the unprofessionalism i would also say that you mentioned taxis and 
do you expect somebody in a taxi or a taxi driver to be filming and using a mobile phone in Argentina? I don't think I've been in a taxi where the driver hasn't been. But uh, so if air travel is seemingly the same as that, um, um, it's for an aesthetic. It's a wonderful video. No, and it's it, unbelievable. And and the it's footage we saw from you know Peter Coates's Instagram as well. He was in the thick of it in the crowd. Great plug. Uh, and a few of them. Uh, videos that have come out on on the internet of the atmosphere inside the ground before and uh, and during the game look phenomenal and that that's one reason why the uh, the Super Classico I think you just can't beat it particularly under the night sky in the Libertadores looked looked incredible and then it all went to pot for Boca as you say inside three minutes and everything yep, that um... they seemingly planned for with that heavy heart of the midfield Abila up front on his own leading the charge, leading the counter-attack. Basically, Boca scripted what we scripted for them for the first two minutes of this game. And then River started to impose and impress. And a, a, a lunging challenge uh, by Mass as Izquierdos wins the ball brilliantly uh, to nick the ball away from Borre inside the 18-yard box. And freaking Mass, the left-back, just sticks his foot in from behind and brings him down. It's like, well, that's <clears throat> game over for Bocker's game plan. Completely. Yep. Yep. And uh, I mean, for me, it's a penalty. Mass's left leg comes across and Borre goes down. And uh, after a VAR check, it was awarded. Um, but when your entire, your entire mentality, all the tactics, everything from Gustavo Alfaro is, is based on keeping it tight, not conceding, looking for a nil-nil or worst, you, you know, just trying to take the game to the last 20 minutes to concede so early was just unbelievable. Borre puts away the penalty. It's actually a really nice penalty. It's one of those penalties where the striker's just looking at the goalkeeper. He's almost eyeballing Andrada. And then at the last minute, he looks at the ball and slots it away. But um, as you say, like, Alfaro's game plan, completely up in smoke within the opening five minutes of the game. And that's the problem when you're a defensive coach, you know, he doesn't have a plan B, Oli. He doesn't have a plan B. Mm. Um, well, that, that was the that, trouble. Is that as as the first half wore on, you you didn't really see any change from what they were trying to do. Uh, well, what we expected them to do, really. I mean, there were a couple of opportunities on the counter attack, and and you know that Capaldo, yeah. for instance, is going to be oh, regretting that miss just before half time for a very long time. If Boca end up going out and was sent off later on in the game as well, uh, Nicolas Capaldo, but Reynoso and Capaldo both had chances from from range as well, but, but that was all Boca were really restricted to until the, the Capaldo missed just before half-time because they didn't really have another option. And although they wanted to be more aggressive and, and not just play counter-attacking football, in the, in the way they were set up, there wasn't any other real way to go and approach that game because the fear of River Plate coming back the other way. Yeah, absolutely. And... <sighs> the, the only thing I'd take issue with... Listen, Salvia wasn't 100% fit, so he didn't start. And, uh, you know, Zarate the same. But you do have Salvio and Zarate on the bench. And, and he, he took a while to to bring Zarate, especially, I felt, on. Um, and, and, you know, he brought on Tevez, who didn't have much of an impact. So maybe Alfaro will say he doesn't have the players to take on River man for man, you know, in an attacking way. But this is Boca Juniors, and it's the semi-finals of the Libertadores. And I just think, as a Brit, and every, Boca have such a such a kind of a myth about them and they're such a romantic football club I was just a little bit I just thought it was a bit sad seeing Boca go to their arch rivals and just look really terrified and outplayed in every way and, and just go there looking in hope more than expectation and 
Listen, you've got to give full credit to River, right? They scored the opening goal mm. through Borre and we're in total control. Yes, Capaldo did miss a great chance. And you could argue that if Capaldo scores that for Boca, it was Abela, great work from Abela doing exactly what he does best. Laid it square on the counter. Capaldo just blazes it over the crossbar. I mean, he really has to score. Yeah. If he does score and Boca lose 2-1, you'd have to say, you know, you could then say that's a, it's not a great result, clearly, because they would have lost. But it's a result that keeps them right in the Libertadores, as it is. Um, it's 2-0 because Nacho Fernandez scored... Uh, Scored in the second half, and they've got an absolute mountain to climb now. Boca at La Bombonera. That Fernandez goal is a, is a wonderful goal. Uh, it's fantastic. It's, uh, do you feel in this semi-final, we actually saw River take it into that next level around the top of the 18-yard box? Because yep. when I saw that goal go in, it was about the three or four passes before uh, Fernandez's finish, particularly the lovely pullback from uh, Matias Suarez. Yeah. That just all played perfectly and it was what we had been crying out to see from River so many times and the final ball in particular had let them down so often in this competition. They just were able to raise their game. Whether that's Gachado and his influence, I mean he was in the suit obviously, which always helps, <laughs> or whether it was the players recognising the moment and perhaps you know they've felt this whole tournament they can save themselves a little and, and hold something back and and go even further and even harder and faster in, in these sorts of moments. But I do think we're finally starting to see River Plate reach their peak. It's something the Brazilian press have been absolutely cooing about in the fallout from this game. Because obviously they, they're yeah. all looking at Flamengo against Gremio, but they've been saying, well, River Plate are playing football that is better than South American football, which is quite a statement yeah, for a South American yeah, country it, it, to make. Absolutely. And I thought, you know, we've waited so long to see... River's fifth gear in this tournament and I think we at least saw you know at least we we at least saw the fourth gear that they've got um on Tuesday night um in the final third they were so impressive you mentioned Matias Suarez there and his influence in the goal that Nacho Fernandez scored and I saw a lot of Matias Suarez at Andelect and I remember thinking he was a really really good footballer really clever and um yeah I think we're starting to see the best of him at River and in that final third, what was so interesting about Gachado, I think, and what makes him such a great coach, is the fact that they drew that game 0-0 against Boca at the Monumental in the Superliga exactly one month ago because they couldn't really get round the outside of Boca and it didn't really work in the Superliga. Boca completely neutralised them. And of course, the early penalty helped. But but Gachado's ability to, to see things and, and change things and adapt to situations and find solutions is absolutely unbelievable. He pushed Milton Casco and Montiel so far up the pitch. It's like how Liverpool play with Trent Alexander-Arnold and, uh, and Andy Robertson. Mm. He's basically saying to Milton Casco and Montiel, play as wingers. And that just allowed Nico de la Cruz and Nacho Fernandez to cut right inside. And that's how Nacho Fernandez scores. And that, that's the kind of way he plays, isn't it? He's almost like Thomas Muller. Remember Thomas Muller at his pomp? I mean, he's still playing now. But when he was really, really good, that, that kind of third man running into the box. Um, so that's what Gachado, you know, is so clever. Fullback so high. Two wingers tucking in. Matias Suarez really dropping off Borre, actually. So Gachado's tactics were all right. And, um, and, and yeah, I, what can you say? I mean, River, River were great. It's Enzo Perez as well who kind of comes in from the heart of midfield. And when those fullbacks do go flying up, he he's really disciplined in coming back and sitting back and supporting the centre-backs. I mean, they only had to deal with Abila that night anyway. But it was just, yep. you saw when Casco and Montiel went, Perez would drop in and just hold that ground. So you were almost playing a kind of, Right, we're going to have four at the back when we don't have possession. But it's a three at the back with two wide men. 
uh, pieing up the line when uh, when River do have possession. It's something that I've noticed some managers in Europe kind of have two different formations, one on the ball and one off the ball. And it's no surprise that Gachado's kind of seen that and is utilising that in a in a game like this. What was what was it like to commentate on and not to, you know, I'm sure you're smiling uh, from ear to ear just at <laughs> hearing those words again, to be honest, Windsor. But, <laughs> yeah, no, I am. Honestly, mate, it was amazing. Yeah. But in, in terms of a, a, a game of football, did it feel like there were moments where it dragged a bit or anything? Or was it just one of those ones that you finish and it's like, oh, that's gone by so quickly? Because... We were, it wasn't. There wasn't a gluttony of chances. There were just a lot of big moments. It felt. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It's a standalone football match. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't a classic. It was really watchable. It wasn't a classic. But I don't know. Just like you know, when you like script your intros and stuff, I, I felt there wasn't. You couldn't go big enough because it is such a iconic rivalry and it is such an unbelievable game and and the atmosphere was was amazing and um, yeah, it was it was. It was it was a, a real joy to commentate on, to be honest. <laughs> um, the fallout, uh, we touched on the fact that um, the Brazilian press has kind of been cooing about how well River played. Um, Avila, or Boca, has, has said that the referee massively influenced the game, which I'm sure Boca right. fans see that penalty decision. And even under after a VAR review, they probably still think, well, Izquierdos has got the ball and it's a silly challenge by Mass, but the ball has gone anyway. And... I have to say, for a large chunk of the, uh, the what the last two days, the game was on Tuesday, we are having a chat on Thursday. I've kind of been in that camp until I, I was chatting with Peter about it a few, what, a few hours ago. And he's kind of convinced me that, you know, this probably is actually the right decision. But Boca fans are never going to see it that way anyway. Uh, but yeah, Abila very frustrated with the referee's decision and, and the fallout from that. Um, and Christian Fabiani, the ex-River play, uh, player, has come out and said that uh, Boca didn't even exist in that game which is quite a strong word and uh, you know the words between these two sides are always very strong especially when ex-players get involved and start uh, sticking their oar in about it but Boca aside from that one big miss from Capaldo they didn't exist and it is a huge ask because as you said if they'd gotten away goal you'd have fancied them to go to the Bombonera and get a 1-0 win and go through on away goals you could have just seen that coming that would have played into their hands perfectly but instead, now, down by two. It's a really big ask against your greatest rivals, against a side that you might even think are just getting a hoodoo over you in the Libertadores after last year and now this result as well. Yeah, There's got to be an um, element of fear for Boca. <clears throat> yeah, and I think a lot of Boca fans are, were, were pissed off, to be honest. Like, I think they've given Alfaro... And it's listen, it's not all his fault, clearly, but it. I think they've given him you know, a lot of understanding and they realised he wasn't a spectacular, exciting choice. He was a safe choice to be Boca coach. But I think to go there and be so defensive and ultimately, you know, the end justifies the means. So if if Alfaro gets a 2-1 defeat or a 0-0, then it's fine. But he didn't. He's lost 2-0. And his side, I'm not going to... Well, they are. They're all but out the Libertadores because 2-0, uh, you know, is, is a very comprehensive scoreline against a Riverside that are better than them. And I think Alfaro, from what I could see, talking to a few people around the city... And, uh, you know, on social media, Boca fans were, were pretty pissed off. Yeah, they, they can moan about the referee's decision. Personally, I think it is a penalty and referee's got most of it right. Uh, and the red card at the end is, is whether that was a correct decision or whether it should have been yellow or red. It's kind of irrelevant because it was like the last action of the entire match and he would have been suspended anyway, Capaldo, because he picked up the yellow mm-hmm. card. But uh, yeah, I think um, Boca fans were, were understandably incredibly frustrated and it's not over, is it? it, it it's, that's the only thing you could say, it's not over. 
La Bobonera, they get an early free kick or an early goal or just a, a moment and then, then things come alive. Um, but, I mean, you'd be a very brave man to back against River right now. I do think it's over, though. <laughs> I know it's uh, it's pretty kind of definitive to say it, but yeah. but he doesn't have another style. doesn't have another system but, of football to go to. No, I mean, what does he... <laughs> What does he do? Does he abandon his philosophy? Does he completely abandon his philosophy and then at La Bombonera play De Rossi, who I think will be fit by then, play Salvia wide right, play Zarate off Avila and, and, and you know change everything about what he thinks about the game? And don't forget, Alvaro's a manager who's, I think he's managed, well, it's over 900 top flight games. So his, his, you know, his system, his ideas, his philosophy is so ingrained. I don't know, what, what does he do? Does he... Does he abandon all that? Like history would tell you that managers don't really do that. Or is he going to play exactly the same way and hope to grab a goal from a set piece and then just hope La Bombonera somehow, you know, river collapse and he finds a way? I mean, I think, like you say, you've said it's over. I mean, you never know, but it doesn't look good for Boca. It doesn't in any way, shape or form. Uh, let's quickly, before we have a look at the next... Um... The next game, the next semi-final, of course, between Flamengo and Gremio. Uh, we have got a word or two from uh, esteemed journalist and colleague of ours, Mr. Joel Richards, uh, a man who I don't want to say is a River Plate ultra. He hasn't got the face tattoos and stuff like that, but he does have a soft spot, certainly, uh, for the side. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's given us his thoughts on, on how Tuesday's game went. So let's have a quick listen to that. Hello guys, uh, so I see you're still running with the River Plate supporter line, which is uh, fine, you guys you guys have your fun. Um, no, obviously a massive result for River Plate, um, not just the result, but the performance in particular, because, you know, over the course of this campaign, I think there were, there were a few questions about whether River could, could go the, the full distance once again. It's very rare, as we know, for, for South American clubs to, to reach two consecutive finals of the Copa Libertadores, and... I think in the early phase of the competition, we saw in the group stage, we saw a River Plate that really at times struggled to, to finish off their opponents. I remember games against Palestino uh, and Alianza Lima in particular. And so there were question marks there. Then in the knockout phase, we saw them not score against Cruzeiro, either home or away, the match going to penalties. And so again, that question just about whether, whether or not the side had the firepower needed to, to challenge for the Libertadores. Of course, against Cruzeiro, we saw a different side of River Plate, which is just as important, which is the mental strength in the penalty shootout. They held their nerve. Most of the penalty takers were, were very young, uh, but they showed real strength of character there as well, which is, of course, just as an important factor in particular. Uh, a match of the, the scale, the dimension of the match against Boca, because you know after last year's final... Uh, in, in between River and Boca, there was the feeling that any Super Clasico would pale in significance. But for there to be a semi-final of the Libertadores just a year afterwards, with all the baggage still so fresh from, from, from last year, um, obviously there was so much riding on this game. And we just saw a really impressive, really dominant performance from River Plate. When you look at, at the performance levels, the individual levels, um, from Armani and Goal, rarely tested in in defence. You know, there were a few mistakes between the centre-backs, Pinola and Martinez Cuarta, but they weren't really tested. Um, Milton Casco on the left offered so much going forward. I thought Montiel on the right didn't have one of his best games, but again, Boca weren't able to, to exploit that at all. Uh, in midfield, Nacho Fernandez really came into it in the second half. I did think Exico Palacios, the young midfielder, um, didn't have a particularly good game. His passing was off a little bit and he wasn't quite the 
commanding figure that a player of his stature and his potential probably should be at this stage in his career. He's, he's still young and he's had a number of injuries that have meant that move fell through. It also An injury also kept him out of the Copa America when he was expected to be first choice for Argentina. So he's a player that, who's, because of injuries, he's missing a lot of playing time. He's missing important experience. And this is the kind of game where really... For a player who's linked with the likes of Real Madrid, they should be dominating. I don't think we saw that from Palacios, but of course, the rest of the team is working so well that uh, that, that wasn't really an issue. Nico de la Cruz was very lively, as always. And up front, Borré and, and, uh, and Matias Suarez just caused problems for, for Boca uh, throughout. Of course, the early goal enabled River Plate just to settle. Um, I think it definitely was a penalty, but it's very much a VAR penalty. So not one that we saw probably in, in as it happened, but from different camera angles, clearly see that there was a foul by the Boca left-back mass uh, on Borre. So, so that early goal just settled nerves and, and allowed River Plate then to go on and, uh, and to really, as I said, dominate uh, the, the match. I mean, Boca only really had that, that one counter-attack which Capaldo blasted over. And so at this stage, you have to say River Plate very much favourites to go through because now the question is, for it, just for, to take it to penalties, Boca need to score twice without re- reply at the Bombonera. Now, on the basis of the performance that we saw from Boca, that's very unlikely. And if we factor in that as Boca have to attack, River Plate are going to have more space to attack on the counter, River Plate quite likely to score, say, one goal at the, at the Bombonera. That means that straight away puts all the pressure on Boca. They've got to score even more goals. And so you just think that after, as I said, not only the result, but also the performance, uh, River very much looked favourites uh, to go through to the to the final of Santiago. But, um, yeah, well, uh, Jolie there giving us the uh, giving us the River Plate thoughts on uh, on the night. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what Nico thinks, the the Uber Boca fan that we've had on the show a couple of times. I I don't think his philosophy of wherever we go we always win really works at this point I have to say Windsor but I mean he, <laughs> he'll still be confident in some way shape or form I'm sure uh, going into the the second leg uh, let's talk about the all Brazilian semi-final uh, we, uh, did you tee up Peter did you tee up Peter Coates as well I uh, oh I did not we we heard from Peter Coates didn't we because he was uh, he was at the Monumental too we uh, we should probably uh, have a listen to what Pete's been saying as well actually yeah, Pete was also talking about the atmosphere and uh, inside and outside the ground and everything else. Yeah, the atmosphere was everything you'd expect from a Super Classico and then some. Um, There's a truly incredible night that rightly holds its place as a bucket list event for football fans around the world. Um, I think as the game itself, there's a real sense of confidence amongst the uh, River supporters before kickoff. And I think in part that was due to them with a sense of having already won uh, with last year's final, but I think also a confidence that just Marcelo Cachado has instilled um, throughout the club right with his performance in, in cup competition. Um, the early penalty obviously changed the game hugely. Um, and while the initial calls were huge when De La Cruz first went down, I must say that from the people that are around me that were able to glance around at the press TVs, um, seemed to be a little bit more uncertainty the more they looked, they looked at the replays. Uh, I think it's a debatable one. You can see why Boca would be aggrieved. Um, but Mass does bring down Santos Boré, um, as is Guedos, I think it is, who makes the, the fair challenge. So it's a controversial one, but perhaps not as controversial as, as many would have you believe in the press. Um, I think with the penalty, Boca's idea went out the window. Um, they had no real answers um, to River. 
I think uh, the supporters and even the players and supporters grew in confidence to the point of enjoyment, really, in the second half. Really didn't have that sense of um, apprehension about the game. Um, just the pace and width of River was too much. Now, Fado has to take huge responsibility for that with his tactics and his team selection just played into the hands of River. Uh, the question really now is, is whether Boca can turn it around. And I think the focus being much more on the officiating rather than their own shortcomings is good for Alfaro. Um, but now two down, he has to sort of abandon his natural principles. And they have to go on the attack. And you sense really that Quixado's River and the pace that we saw in the first leg um, will be enough to counter effectively get the away goal that would really kill off the tie. Yeah, the second game then, Wilson. Lo hizo Bruno Enrique, señoras y señores. Atención que busca el empate, viene Maicon, aquí está Everton. Pepe, gol, pero veremos. Sí, gol, vale. Señoras y señores, Pepe, Pepe, convierte el 1 a 1, 42 minutos. Yeah, well, uh, I mean... Super Classico is a Super Classico. Whatever happens, that's going to be a great watch just from an aesthetic point of view. But this was the one that we were expecting a real game of football in. And then I saw the team sheet. And I thought, ah, this could be an absolute nightmare for Gremio. It's finished one all after 90 minutes, the first leg. And I think the home side have massively got away with one here. Yeah, they did. Massively. Yeah. Wins at yeah, they did. The 90 minutes. Quick rundown. It was a great game. Well, it was, an, it was a great game. I mean, this is a Flamengo side that are absolutely flying. They're flying in the league. They're flying in the Libertadores. They've got quality just dripping through their squad. They spent a colossal amount of money, and it shows. They got George Jesus. Uh, you know, he's brought this European starter proceedings. Uh, I think the, the the players really believe in what he's trying to do. But, but ultimately, it's, it's all about the players. And it's all about the quality. You've got Gabriel Barbosa up front and... Bruno Henrique, who was just absolute, was exceptional in the game, and yeah, they got so much quality. Listen, first half, it, it was it was all Flamengo. They were just they were completely dominant um, in every way, shape, or form. For Gremio, they're a bit unfortunate. They had two of their re uh, regular back four out injured. Um, Jean Pierre also wasn't in the eleven. He had a knock, so Gremio were going into this a little bit on the on the back foot, as it were. But take nothing away from the way Gremio played. I think they're the only side, and I include River in this, that are capable of playing one two-touch European football in the final third. And the fact that the game finished 1-1 is quite incredible, really, because because Flamengo were, were so dominant. They had about nine goals uh, ruled out after <laughs> VAR had a look. And that's honestly how it felt. I mean, yeah, they, they had... I mean, Gabriel Barbosa had two goals ruled out himself. For, uh, for for offside, both of which were incredibly marginal, but correct. Uh, there was also a goal for Everton Ribeiro, who put it in the back of the net, and Gabriel Barbosa had pushed uh, Walter Kahneman. So, I mean, it, it was absolute action-packed. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was just bizarre. There were so many goals, but actually there were only two goals, you know? So the, the, the VAR was, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a bizarre game in many ways. It, it seemed like that, Gremio's two best players, who are the wide men, really, of uh, Everton and, and Alisson, 
particularly with uh, Andre left on the bench and Diego Tardelli playing up front instead, which just seemed like a weird decision, considering Tardelli's had one moment against Libertad in this competition. And Andre has been the go-to centre-forward for them. Uh, you mentioned as well, as this, as you said, Jean-Pierre uh, not playing either through uh, through injury, which which just meant there was more expected of Everton and Alisson, and Everton in particular. But you had Jorge Jesus, who's brought in two excellent and experienced at the highest level fullbacks that you just thought one-on-one would be able to contain Everton and Alisson. And you didn't think Gremio were going to make much of it. And to be honest, for an hour... They didn't really produce anything at all. And it was all just a case of the opening, what, 45 minutes to an hour. How many goals are Flamengo going to get? And as you said, they had so many disallowed. I mean, Gabby goal <laughs> seemed to want this way too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know He was on the edge, man. I know he's a frustrated figure at times. And I know he obviously wanted to make a name for himself in Europe. And he's had to come back to Brazil. And he's having a fantastic competition in terms of scoring goals. But we've seen it time and time again that he does just try a little bit too hard in moments. And and he really wants to have that grandstand finish too often. And and this Flamengo side, really, it is Arascaeta and uh, and Bruno Enrique who are the two that really make this team click for the majority of the play. Uh, you know, Gabigol doesn't need to make that shove on Walter Kahneman. I'm, I'm sure there's a couple no, of doesn't. words being exchanged, but he doesn't need to make that shove on Kahneman, which leads to that first goal disallowed. The The... Goal after about half an hour or so. I mean, every time I look at the offside decision, I do think he's still onside, even with the line. <laughs> it, like, I don't know what part of the body they're saying is offside. If it's the his arm, right boot, but... it was right shoelace or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there's yeah. like tight. it's like half an inch of a toe or something like that. But uh, that and that's just going to add to his frustrations. And and then you saw him shooting from distance a bit too often as well. Mm. Uh, and then he has that third goal ruled out for offside in the in the second half, which is clearly offside. But again, is a run that doesn't need to be made that early. And is a sign of a centre forward that's trying too much, and a man who's almost put all of this pressure on himself when he needs to realise that there's so many quality players around him in this team. He doesn't need to have that pressure on him. I mean, why and how Bruno Henrique is not playing in Europe? And I know Europe's not the be all and end all, and the Libertadores is fantastic, but I mean, quite why Bruno Henrique is not playing in Europe? I have absolutely no idea because he's class. He's just utter, utter class. Um, Ran the game. As you said, they are Asqueta is also fantastic. The two fullbacks, Rafinha and Felipe Luis, they're both 34 years of age. And they're both bombing up and down the flank. By and large, kept Everton's threat to a minimum, apart from the crucial moment. Um, we should say that Bruno Enrique scored, of course, after 69 minutes to give Flamengo the lead. Uh, it was Asqueta who's who produced a looping cross and Bruno Enrique just wanted it more at the back stick. Tapped at home. And then... Gremio, with two minutes left to play, went up the other end and, and Everton fizzed the ball into the penalty area and the substitute Pepe scored to make it 1-1 and that gives, well, it keeps the tie, not just alive, it's absolutely still on for Gremio on a night where really Flamengo should have should, should have seen it off. They, they should be through, um, not just because of the, the, the goals disallowed for VAR, but their overall play was fantastic and... Um, my God, they're, they're they're a really good side. Should Michelle have been sent off for the for that stamp in the first half uh, that saw him yes. just pick up a yellow card? It seemed to be VAR'd for a very long time. Yes, I mean, it's one of those you might have got away with it ten years ago, but the studs as soon as your studs leave the ground like that and you make contact with the ankle of Jerson, uh, I think he should have been sent off, but he wasn't. So, um, you know. So, so Gremio kept 11 men on the pitch. Um, 
It's a pretty good night for Grêmio, us. isn't it? When you think of it in that sense. Yeah. Of, they, they've got away yeah. from three disallowed goals. They've got away with a potential sending off. And then two minutes ago, they've snagged a winner. And not only that, but in the move for that... Uh, sorry, not the winner, the equaliser. But in the move for that equaliser, they've been able to take out Felipe Luis out of the second leg. One of the best assets that Flamengo have. Because he was down injured yep. when Everton picked the ball up. And, and Everton has kind of said, oh... If I'd seen him, I would have put the ball out. I'm very sorry that we went up the other end and then I set up the equaliser, which I think is a very tongue-in-cheek quote. And I've only read it rather than heard it and wouldn't be able to tell if sure. he's being well, sarcastic. Well, I mean, Flamengo didn't, put, yeah, Flamengo didn't put the ball out themselves, so, you know. Yeah, but it's a, but it, yeah. but it's um, that's a huge opportunity then with no Felipe Luis to then attack that side and even more with the quality wingers that they have in the second leg. Mm. And you'd argue that Flamengo have got an away goal, but you'd argue that probably momentum is with Gremio because they've got more out of the game. Whereas Flamengo will have finished that and be really frustrated with it. Mate, you should have seen the, you know, the full-time whistle or sort of even five, ten minutes after the full-time whistle. The, the the cameras on the pitch and you could see the Gremio players were pumped and the fans, you know, the fans were kind of not celebrating like they'd won the game, but they knew they'd got away with one and they knew that they could have lost this game 4-5-1 and Flamengo w- would already be in the Libertadores final. So there was definitely a sense in the players on the pitch that uh, that they got away with one. For Flamengo, Dair Escaeta actually I think is going to be injured. Well, he is injured and I think he's going to miss the uh, miss the second leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's out, out for a just, month. Yeah, so he's going to miss the second leg in, in three weeks' time. Uh, Jerson is going to be okay. But uh, listen, this Flamengo side at the Maracanã, they're going to, I think they're just going to be too good. I, I completely agree that Gremio, this is the Gremio's third straight Libertadores semi-final. The only thing that can beat Flamengo now is, I think, themselves. Like, if they put so much pressure on themselves, which is already there, that they have to get to the Libertadores final. And maybe it's it's nil-nil, or 1-1 going into the last 20 minutes, that, that's when they could maybe kind of eat into themselves. But uh, but if Flamengo can just play with the freedom that we saw on Wednesday night, then they will get the job done at the Maracanã and, and they'll be in the final. Um, they'll be in the final. One thing I wanted to say about Everton, we talk quite a lot about him, Oli, because he's a really fascinating player and he was linked to some very big European clubs, the, the, Grame- the Gremio man. And the more I watch him, the more I think, I don't think he's a great player. I think he has great moments. You could say, like, what's the difference? Well, I, he's not consistently fantastic, not even throughout 90 minutes. He's not consistently fantastic throughout 10, 15, 20-minute spells. He just <laughs> has moments. Against Palmeiras, he had about four and a half minutes where he showed up, scored a great goal, created the the the, the second Gremio goal, and won them the tie. And he didn't do really anything against Flamengo except assist the goal that keeps them, keeps them alive in the competition. So, um, yeah, I don't think he's a great player, but I think he's got unbelievable he's got an unbelievable ability to step up in really key moments and 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 produce and oh, that's that, that's invaluable so i'd be really interested to see where he ends up you know at the end of this year when the libertadores is wrapped up in terms of uh, an evening of football and do you think it's that's a night where var's got all the decisions right but it's again one of those nights that the people that don't like var are going to turn around and say it's actually broken up a very flowing game of football or do you think it's a night that's a vindication for the use of VAR because we do have a game that is still well and truly a tie on for the second leg because two of those goals could have easily been given and we wouldn't have had them reviewed and and Flamengo would be 3-1 up potentially 
Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, the the disallowed goals were were all the correct decisions. So, um, I think I think the VAR debate has just moved on now. It's it's kind of like, you know, do you, <laughs> what it's it's just moved. Like, do you like or do you not like VAR? I don't know what. Like, it's in. It's it's part of the game, and it will be part of the game for the for as long as football exists. Mm. So. Um, it doesn't really yeah, matter. I, I don't I know what to say. No, I, I, I think we're at the point now, maybe, where that debate is just, is just whether you like it or not is, is irrelevant. It's just how best to implement it now. Um, yeah, which, which will be really fascinating to see how different countries and different footballing uh, kind of uh, yeah different different footballing philosophies match up to, to the use of VAR and how much it gets used in it in every game. But um, what can you say? There were correct decisions, marginal, but but correct. Yeah, and at least we do have, still have a tie that is finally in the balance, uh, as as we said earlier, with Felipe Luis and Arascaeta out as well. It's a big coup for Gremio going into the second leg. There's They can take solace from the fact that Everton can have moments of brilliance, even when this side, this Gremio side have played off the park for the majority of it. And they were so, so agonisingly slow to get going in any way, shape or form in this game. And, and that, that has to be rectified. Um, Jorge Jesus has said in the fallout really slurred that slightly I promise I've not been drinking by the way mate this is another sober podcast that we're doing which is very peculiar no but George George Jesus said by an Englishman is a name that you can't possibly say without sounding like you've had a pint and a half <laughs> because it it just it's and even every time I say it I'm like that wasn't right was it because it's and the, if you I've listened to it being said quote unquote correctly and I just can't. I don't. I honestly don't think a, a native British mouth can say George Jesus in the in the way it should be said correctly. It feels like your so tongue that, that swells get out up. Of jail. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Even you know, I'm, I'm a little bit ill today, Ollie. But even with the, uh, even with that, I can't. The Jesus bit, I can't. Uh, yeah. it's, it's tough. He's he's come out and said, you know, we were by a mile the better side, and and there's no way that this tie should still be kind of going and. And we we should have won. We sh- we should have been kind of already through at this point, but they're not. So they're gonna have to hold on to the American art, which I don't think is gonna be holding on at the end of the day because it's such an intimidating ground for teams to go to. We've seen already in this competition, you know, when they played Emelec, Emelec went in there with a two goal lead from uh, the home tie of the round of sixteen, and that was wiped out inside twenty minutes. The the, uh, the American art with its history, with the atmosphere that the Flamengo fans are able to create. I mean, they're the biggest club in Brazil and they're the best footballing side, arguably the best footballing side in this competition. And I think now at this point, we're kind of teed up for what is going to be the best footballing Libertadores final that we could have probably seen, which is River yeah. against Flamengo. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, you're absolutely right, which, which would be an incredible final. Flamengo are a better side than... I mean, listen, neither side... There could be a surprise and neither side have got to the final yet. Flamengo are a better side than River. Um, but there's something about this River side, something about Gachado that uh, that you just can't see them being beaten. They haven't been beaten. They're the only unbeaten side still in the Libertadores um, uh, River. So it, Isn't that weird, we'll though, that they're... You think Flamengo's a better side, but even the Brazilian press are saying that River are playing side that's better than South American football. And we haven't had a statement like that yet thrown out by any media outlet about Flamengo. Sure. I just think the front four for Flamengo are 
are absolutely fantastic. And mm. like I said, I have not seen a side play as much one-touch football, one, two-touch football as that Flamengo front four. Um, that I think they're, they're absolutely fantastic. And I keep saying this, but they should be because they spent so much money. You mentioned that they are going to be the biggest club in Brazil, despite the fact they've only won one Libertadores back in 1981. And Grêmio have won three. Since Flamengo won their only Libertadores in 1981, Grêmio have reached five finals and won three trophies. And yet, Flamengo are the biggest club in Brazil, which is, is slight, strikes me as a slight oddity. Mm, very, there are a few things but, in Brazil. Uh, like, we, you look at like Corinthians haven't had much success yet. They're the second biggest club, and it's just yeah. Hey, you, I guess you get shoved into the supporter groups that you uh, that you end up getting shoved into as a, a youngster, and you take the mantle and run with it. And I mean, no, exactly. You wouldn't begrudge any young Brazilians for getting involved and watching and enjoying this Flamengo side. That's for sure, considering what we've seen in the Libertadores. And I, I was still kind of out on them as well until the knockout stages, basically. And I still, I still don't like them. There's something. I think it's just Gabby Gold just annoys me so much because he's a cl- <laughs> he's a clown when he's in, in a yeah he, yeah yeah but he's 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 tw- he's a twenty three year old man Ollie yeah you know like we weren't we weren't all I, I certainly wasn't the perfect well I'm certainly not perfect now but I certainly wasn't perfect at uh, at twenty three years of age and you know if you'd have given me the money and everything that probably falls into Gabby Gold's lap plus that God given talent and he is talented. I don't know. I, yeah. Sometimes I think. Do you know what I mean? Like I, you know, I don't know. Never met the bloke, so I don't know. Yeah, you can't. I can't judge him on a personal level in any way, shape, or form. It's just. It's no, but you're not the only one to say he's an idiot. I mean, the the Walter Kahneman incident is ridiculous. Like he doesn't need to push Kahneman in the chest, and then Flamengo's goal gets ruled out because he's just unnecessarily, uh, you know, done that. So he does. You know, he's got that in him, but um. He's also got an awful lot of goals in him as well. To, to Gremio change anything just quickly for the for the second leg because we touched a bit on the uh, mm. on the Boca River second leg just and we mentioned Flamengo would be heavy favourites but for for Gremio what what would you change what can they change or just they do they need to just start faster or is that down to the the gaffer that needs to kind of give a get kick a life into them or yeah it's 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 tough isn't it when you you've got to come up with solutions when I think. Deep down, Gremio know that their first eleven isn't as good as Flamengo's, so you've got to find a collective solution to kind of neutralise that individual superiority from Flamengo. Um, Mateus Henrique for Gremio is such an important player, and he was just squeezed out. He was just squeezed out the game. Uh, Flamengo were on him; they just swarmed all over him whenever he got on the ball. So Mateus Henrique couldn't pull any of the strings. I guess you, you want to try and rectify that. Uh, I can't see Diego Tardelli starting the. The, the, the second leg, if if uh, if Jean-Pierre is, is is anything like fit, I'd find a way to, to get him in there. And then what do you do? You cross your fingers, you hope that uh, Flamengo miss a couple of chances, you wait for the moment of inevitable magic from Everton, which which will come at some point in the 90 minutes. You ride your luck and uh, and you see what happens, really. I don't, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't, there's no obvious solution for Gremio. There's not one thing obvious that they did wrong. They just faced a fantastic Flamengo side. Now, I'm still campaigning, Windsor, for the Get the Libertadores on UK TV some way, shape or form. Not just so I can hear yourself and Tim Vickery's dulcet tones going out across the airwaves at one thirty in the morning over here, but also so I can actually watch the games in a proper television screen and, and enjoy it from mm. kind of the comfort of a sofa rather than trying to watch it on a mobile phone or, or tablet or something yeah but I, I i agree and like you know we we both work in the industry and have spoken to people about oh are you interested in taking the libertadores to a uk audience and 
it, it's on at one thirty in the morning, which isn't ideal. And I, even though I love it, I, and you know, you're in the same boat. We can see the Libertadores for what it is, which is the most varied, unbelievable competition. But European football is European football, and it swallows or dismisses anything else because it's its own giant. So I don't. Is there space that it's already such a saturated market, European football, and, and and fans of European football that live in Europe? If you say, "Oh, there's another competition you want to watch," it's on at one thirty in the morning. It's a hard sell, isn't it? Well, judging by what may be happening with the Super Classico, there is flexibility to find that space. It, <laughs> it seems like. I mean, we're hearing rumours that this could be perhaps delayed slightly due to yeah. obviously the, the elections taking place in Argentina. So actually, we're going to have a solo semi-final of Flamengo against Gremio at the Maracanã in two weeks' time after the international break. Is that right? And then... Yes. Yeah, so so, as it, so the, obviously, the, the second leg between uh, Flamengo and Gremio won't be interrupted at all. That's got nothing to do with it. That will still take place on the 23rd of October in three weeks' time. And the second leg of the Super Classico, Boca River at La Bombonera, which was scheduled to take place on the 22nd of October. That's that's would just come prior to the Argentine election. So the whispers, the whispers, Mr. Wilson, around the city <laughs> in, in one or two parts are that perhaps uh, it will be pushed back a week. I mean... Yes, I, 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 I simply don't know enough about it to, to pass any kind of judgment or comment either way. I will just sit back and await uh, await the date being clarified. But um, either way, when it kicks off, it's going to be special. I mean, at La Bombonera, anything could happen. But yeah, it, it could be postponed by a week. That is correct. I mean, it's just kind of delaying what we've joked about on this podcast of the end of Buenos Aires and Argentina as we know it. So in that sense, it's probably great that it is being moved. It's just probably a, a tad frustrating for... Probably for the players as well, more than anything else. I'm sure Flamengo and Gremio aren't too bothered by it. But at the same time, you just think, well, they'll, Boca or River will have an extra week to scout the opposition maybe. But yeah, it, it seems like a smart decision overall and one that was probably going to happen anyway from a long time before now. And now the wheels seem to be going in motion to to do something smart with the scheduling and adjust it round a bit more than anything else. Just as long as it doesn't steal that Copa Sudamericana thunder, you know, that's dangerously close to the final in the Sunsion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ah, who knows? We'll, we will have to, we'll have to wait and see on that. Well, uh, you can, uh, you can sit it out and wait and see from the, from the comfort of the, the pool in the sun. Once the rain clears up in once. Uh, yeah, exactly. Once the, once the spring finally, uh, as the early summer shows, it's, uh, Shows his face. Um, right, well, we'll have a little chat before uh, before the second legs then, Ollie. Which the second legs aren't for three weeks' time, so we can have a, a little little chat before then. Oh, there'll be a lot of notes to be taking before that. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get the full second leg preview ready and sorted to have a gander with you about it, mate. Amazing, nice man. And just like that, we finished the podcast talking about weather when we started talking about weather. I mean, that's that's going full circle. <laughs> That, that's and you know that's pre- and all this this podcast conducted from my bed as well so we haven't we haven't done too bad oh it's one of those one of those lazy thursdays is it fair enough fair. it's just, it's just a big big couple of weeks and uh <laughs> yeah strepsils and a, a bit of herbal tea and rock and roll lifestyle so that's the first legs of the semi-finals well and truly in the book uh windsor and i will as we mentioned get back together at some point over the next couple of weeks and have a look ahead to the second legs in a little more detail. There'll be plenty, I'm sure, to talk about with the league campaigns 
still going on and Flamengo still going very strong in the Brazilian top flight. In the meantime, while you wait for all of that, you can follow, like and subscribe to the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm, which is our host, and many other good podcast outlets as well. Leave a review, tell us what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear. Although, please don't say you don't want to hear Wilson and Windsor because it's kind of part of the show at this point. Uh, you can email us as well, winwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. Big thanks, as always, uh, to Winter for having a chat with me about all things Libertadores while he's down there, boots on the ground. Uh, big thanks as well to Joel Richards and Peter Coates for joining us on the show once more. You can follow Joel and Peter on Twitter. That's Joel underscore Richards, Joel underscore Richards, of course, for Joel. And Peter Coates is at Golazo Argentino. That's at Golazo Argentino. Not just his Twitter account, but a fantastic source of information on all things Argentinian football. You can follow David on at David T. Windsor. That's at David T. Windsor. And you can follow myself O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. Send us your questions via Twitter for the podcast each week at Libertadores Podcast or even hashtag Libertadores Pod. That's hashtag Libertadores Pod. And uh, until next time, we'll be back with more Wilson and Windsor. Bye.